welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Cameron Smith had one heck of a 2022. In January, he won the Century Open with a PGA record 34 under par. In March, he won the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass by one stroke. In July, he won the 150th Open Championship at the Old Course at St. Andrews. Then in August, he defected to live golf for a reported $100 million. As the 2023 Players' Championship arrives, it will do so without its reigning champion in Smith, who is among many players that partook last year but are banned for their live affiliation. Yet the field is still strong. John Rahm is having himself a year already, and Rory McIlroy has found renewed youth. Who else might be in contention? And how much impact is Liv having on this year's players? To fill us all in, I welcome back Gary Smits, golf expert and longtime reporter for the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. This year, Gary will be covering his 36th Players Championship. If you're at the Players and see a person walking around with a colorful shirt that seems like the mayor, it's not. It's Gary. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. When I arrive in Ponte Vedra Beach for the Players' Championship this week, the first person I'll find is Gary. He's equal parts expert, tour guide, and all-around nice guy. Gary, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into who's going to be here for the Players' Championship, I think the big story really is who is not going to be here for the Players' Championship. So among 25 live golf defectors that have been banned include last year's champion, Cam Smith. So what other key players won't be here because they've been banned from the PGA tournament. And what does it mean not to have the champion back? There's actually two categories of that type of player, because there are guys who went to live who based on their uh, standing in the PGA tour money list or the world Golf ranking at the time that they left last July would not have been eligible for the players championship had their career path continued. And I'm talking about a guy like, such as a uh, Pat Perez, uh, and uh, Dean Burmeister, uh, Brendan Steele. There might have been uh, uh, some guys who weren't eligible, but the ones who were reasonably and and Sergio Garcia might not have been because his eligibility for the players by winning the 2017 Masters had, had run out, and he wasn't playing all that great. But the ones for sure, other than Cameron Smith, who won the tournament last year, is uh, a, couple, a couple of the good young players, Mito Pereira, who was in a playoff at the PGA last year. Joaquin Neiman, who who won a couple, and he won Tigers tournament at the Genesis Invitational last year. Uh, you would not have had Patrick Reed; he would have been eligible. You would not have had obviously Dustin Johnson is probably outside of Cameron Smith, outside of your defending champion, is the biggest name. They won't be here. It's sort of disappointing because Dustin Johnson uh, took a while to get acclimated to throttling his game back to the players' uh, stadium course, you know, because you can't just indiscriminately bomb it all over the place out there. And he had, had run off a, a series of top 10 finishes in the players. And I had, had hopes for him uh, 
uh, winning this one day because he learned how to hit iron off the tee when he had to. Um, Abraham Answer is another guy who had a couple of good player championships and uh, whose game was suited to this course. And, um, uh, you know, and then you had uh, some veterans, Lewis Weissize in South Africa, who had played this uh, tournament well in the past. Charles Forzel had not really played well here, and there have been times when Charles Forzel won the Masters in 2011, uh, had been eligible with the players and opted out, decided not to come over from South Africa. Uh, but you know what? For every live guy who's not here, that's opened the door for another younger player coming off the current FedEx Cup points list. And I think of one thing we've seen the PGA Tour season, it's obviously been the domination of John Rahm and a, a little bit of a cup behind him, uh, Max Homa, is that uh, we have gotten an awful lot of uh, really good uh, young players. And last week was a great example. Eric Cole, who's a 34-year-old rookie, uh, almost won the Honda Classic, uh, lost uh, on the final hole to, uh, or in a playoff to Chris Kirk. Uh, he had a young man named Taylor Montgomery, who's uh, been playing pretty good. Uh, you had Davis Thompson, who's from up the road here at Sea Island, who was in it with John Rahm at the uh, American Express Championship, what we like to refer to as the old Bob Hope. And he was with him until about three or four years holes left. So, you know, it's they're, they're still good players. They might have to replace 15 or 17 of these guys who would have been in the Players' Championship. But they're getting replaced by 15 or 17 pretty good guys. And more importantly, they're hungry. Yeah, you know, you had a nice story up on uh, the Times Union's website, jacksonville.com, this past week about Cameron Smith, the absentee champion. So we want people to go ahead and go read that. But can you give us a little tease or nugget about what your story was about? Well, it's, it's kind of difficult to write about the defending champion without uh, getting his thoughts on what happened that week. So it's basically a recap of how he won that tournament, which is one of the more unusual 66s. That, uh, that I've ever seen, especially to win a tournament. He birdied his first four, five of his first six. Then he had three bogeys in a row in the middle of the round. Then he had four more birdies in a row towards the end to take the lead, a two-shot lead. And then he bogeyed 18 when he hit in the water, and it was a great bogey. So it was it was, it was, it was really a, a, an up and down. It kind of was fitting to that week, and Tim, you were here for part of that week, and you know how the stop-start, the weather, delays, uh, finishing on Monday – that final round from Cameron was kind of symbolic of the entire the entire week. And at the time, it was his biggest victory. He went on to win the British Open. He became the first guy since Jack Nicholas in 1978 to win the players and the British in the same year. And, uh, you know, and I talked to, uh, you know, exec- players executive director Jared Rice, who, who said, you know, it is unfortunate that we don't have Cameron Smith in this tournament. But... You know, as uh, you know, as a football coach might say about the star quarterback getting hurt, he'll uh, say, "Well, let's talk about the guys who are here." So that's the focus. It's still the best field in golf from top to bottom, from one through forty-four. And uh, but also an examination of just how Cameron is still living in this area, still living in Jacksonville area. He's he's seen at various golf courses, uh, Marsh Landing, the Yards, and people you know familiar with those uh, type of courses. Uh, people still see him at barbecue joints. They see him taking his boat out on the intercoastal. He entered uh, uh, the Kingfish uh, tournament last summer, which is Jacksonville's biggest uh, fishing tournament. And, uh, you know, he, he is the one guy who's gone to the Lynn Golf tournament where I can say there are absolutely no hard feelings 
about him going there. Uh, folks at the PGA Tour uh, still speak highly of, of Cameron. The Australian flag is flying. His accomplishment is acknowledged with a plaque, along with other players' championship winners inside the uh, uh, the clubhouse. And, you know, there were a lot of guys who went to live, uh, Patrick Reed, a Sergio Garcia, Bryson DeChambeau, who were kind of labeled as malcontents. They they had a lot of there was all there was a lot of complaining of the rules officials. There was a lot of complaining about tournament structure and things like that and everything. But the one guy that I think even the people in tour regret going is 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 Cameron Smith. And they really wish that there I, I, I know if you get these guys properly, they'll wish there was a way that Cameron Smith could come back and play in the tour again. I'm not sure they're gonna say that about a lot of the other guys. Yeah. Guys who are malcontents when they're already playing golf for millions of dollars and leave for mega millions of dollars. It's just crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, as you mentioned, the Honda Classic uh, now a couple of weeks ago, the, the tournament, it struggled to get a lot of the good players, yet on television, matched up against Live Golf, Live only got a rating of .2 in the Nielsen ratings, and the Honda got more than double that, so I'm not exactly sure what point two is. I think it's just maybe a couple of hundred thousand households watching it on the CW. So that's not very good. You know, what do you think that's attributed to? Given Live has you know a much stronger field, yet people are still tuning in because they want to see the PGA tournaments that have more of that prestige and history. Well, you get right down to it. The PGA Tour events—they're still playing for something. They're playing to stay on the tour. They're playing to establish a legacy. They're playing to get into majors and to the players championship because winning a tour event takes care of it for two years as far as uh, the players and at least for the next year, as far as the other majors go. And uh, everybody's still trying to figure out what live is. And I'm not sure that the live folks have really articulated that all that well. Uh, I think their major thing is, well, we're not the PGA tour. We're not boring. Well, that's, uh, you know, in the eye of the beholder, so to speak, I'm not sure anybody would say that that finish between Chris Kirk and, uh, and Eric Cole was boring last week, uh, in the Honda classic. So, uh, you know, the, and live released a statement earlier today that said across all their platforms, that includes CW, the CW app. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of, uh, international, uh, cable companies that are carrying it. And it's, I think it's still on YouTube. And for the three days combined, they claim they have stats to show they had 3.2 million viewers. Uh, the PJ Tour, though, has apps, uh, streaming apps, ESPN Plus. Uh, they got to deal with uh, Amazon Prime, uh, obviously Golf Channel and NBC. And, you know, their numbers would be uh, – much bigger. I, I, I think the tour is not even going to bother to respond to that because it's, it's pretty ludicrous. All I know is, and this is certifiable, the program after live on Saturday was America's funniest pet videos. And that got a higher rating. <laughs> I think that tells you all you need to know. And you're right. The, the live golf format, I did a little breakdown of it a couple of weeks ago. You know, they're basically these four man teams. They've given them goofy, team names, you know, hoping that they would be like sports teams. And, but still, when you get back to it, down to it, it's guys playing golf. So, you know, they can call it more exciting, but you know, when, when you don't have that history and prestige behind you, you know, it's going to take some time to build if they can even do that, because how long will the Saudis 
hemorrhage that kind of money. I know that they basically just drill money right out of the ground and it replenishes, but still at some point, you know, business people want to make money. So it just makes you wonder, A, how long they're going to do that if they keep losing the, P the PGA, and B, let's say they were to fold in a few years, would the PGA allow some of those players back after a lengthy year, two years, five year suspension? So that'll be interesting to watch too. There would have to be some repercussions for that because they're, they, 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 I've already had individual PGA Tour players tell me that they would not take very kindly to the fact that they did not chase the guaranteed money. Uh, and, you know, the purses are one thing on live, but, you know, the, ever, uh, the stars got front money as much as $100 million in the case of a, of a Cameron Smith or a Dustin Johnson or a Phil Mickelson. And, uh, you know, they would not react very well at the tour, just let these guys come back and play immediately because all that meant is that they took a two or three year vacation, however long it lasts, and got the got the big bucks, which is appearance money, which appearance money technically is against PGA Tour rules. You're supposed to earn what you get through your through your play on the golf course. And uh, uh, I think and you, you are correct in saying that no matter how much money you have, and even if it's you have so much that it's monopoly money, you're going to want to return on that investment at some point. Okay. And they're not getting a return on that. And nobody knows if they ever will. What's might actually hasten that departure is the live antitrust suit that was filed in the Northern district of California. Uh, the, and the tour uh, countersued uh, live the tours won a series of, of court battles out there and the preliminaries to this, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which funds Live Golf, which is an official government agency in the Saudi Arabian government, and it's run by a member of the Saudi government, a Saudi citizen, they have ruled that 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 they have to give depositions, they have to they have to give documents and discovery, and that they're going to have to testify in some manner. And I've talked to a couple of people at tours said who believe that. The Saudis are going to be so uh, concerned about opening up their intergovernment workings in regards to the public investment fund, they might not want any parts of this. And that lawsuit may go away. They just may drop it just to avoid uh, having the inner workings of the Saudi government exposed to the U.S. legal system. So that's another thing we're going to have to watch. But I think all of this is maybe two or three years down the road. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. In the meantime, the live the ma the major thrust of live golf right now is to get recognized uh, for world golf ranking points uh, because some of those guys are dropping like a stone. Now Cameron Smith is still fifth in the world, down from two after he won the British Open. Abraham Answer is in the top twenty, uh, but you've got uh, Dustin Johnson is out of the top fifty now. Uh, I believe Patrick Reed is is hovering around the top one hundred, and the governing bodies of the majors have said that these guys will be allowed to play in the majors as long as they qualify. Okay, well, if they're not getting in by winning PGA Tour events because they're not in the PGA Tour, and there's only a handful that are eligible for majors by winning other majors, for example, Cameron Smith is in all the majors. He's in the British Open for life by winning that, and he's in the other majors for five years. Well, when that kind of stuff runs out, if you don't have a top 50 world golf ranking, which is kind of the threshold for this, you're not going to get in some of these majors the trade-off is going to be that they're going to have to probably ditch a couple of competitive things that they do. They're probably going to have to go to 72 holes and they're probably going to have to get rid of the shotgun start. 
they've used some people in the World Golf Ranking Board consider that a competitive disadvantage uh, because if you're finishing on an easy hole and the guy you're tied with is finishing on one of the hardest holes, that's a competitive disadvantage as opposed to both of you finishing on the same difficult hole. So they're going to have to make some compromises there. They, they don't appear willing to do that. They want to be recognized for World Golf Ranking points, but there are some requirements for a tour, any tour, on an international basis to be to get those points, and there's got to be a structure. The other thing is got to be there has to be an open qualifying. And right now, the the best anybody can figure out about how you qualify for the Live Tour is if your agent has Greg Norman on speed dial. <laughs> well, mine doesn't. So, oh wait, I don't have an agent. So, <laughs> well, you know, it, Live it's just such a weird thing because people are so interested in it. We know by tracking the metrics, people read every story that we write about it, yet the second the golf begins, nobody watches it. So it's just bizarre. We'll keep our eye out. But now let's let's talk about PGA. Let's move away from Live because we do have a great tournament here in Ponte Vedra Beach, TPC Sawgrass, beautiful place. And, you know, John Rahm, he's currently the number one ranked golfer in the, in the world and, you know, easily among the favorites to win this year's Players' Championship. So aside from him, who are you looking at right now whose game is such that you're like, that's a guy who who's going to be in contention on the fourth day? Yeah, well, was, by the way, John Rahm is human because as, as we're speaking, he just finished the second round at Bay Hill with a 76 after shooting 66 in the first round. But uh, th- th- as a measure of his domination, he's – had six starts this year, all of them in the top ten. He's won three out of the six. Uh, his worst tournament so far this season is a top or seven. That's his worst. Okay, he leads the tour in scoring average. He leads the tour in putting. He leads the tour in greens and regulations. And just to show that he's just he's just showing off here, he's tenth in the tour in scrambling, which is the number of times you make par after missing the green. So he's hitting more greens than anybody. He's making more putts than anybody. And guess what? If he does miss a green, he's getting up and down uh, as good as anybody out there. Uh, he's first in par three scoring and first in par five scoring, which I've never really seen before. Now, the tour has a, a, a lot of statistical categories. And I want to just mention this one before we move on to other players. They have a lot of statistical categories, maybe uh, 60 or more, uh, you know, Putts inside three feet, putts inside 10 feet, things like that. Uh, what's your percentage of hitting the green from the right rough and the left rough is? So there's a lot of data there. John Rahm is in first place in 23 statistical categories on the PGA Tour this season. And he's in the top 10 in 41. Unbelievable. That's Tiger-like right there. If anybody doesn't really want to say it, I'll say it. That's Tiger-esque. That's pretty darn good. So who else are we looking at then, Gary? Well, I think the obvious one is a guy that John has gone toe-to-toe with in a couple of tournaments this year, Max Homa for the U.S. He won a seventh tournament recently uh, at the uh, at the Torrey Pines. And, uh, you know, Max is second in uh, on the FedEx Cup behind Rom. He's second in money behind Rom, and he's seventh in the world. So uh, he's, he's a major championship waiting to happen, and I think he's got the game. And he's a very quick study on this golf course. Uh, Ron has played this tournament well, uh, except for a couple of mishaps in final rounds. Max Evan missed his first cut, and then last year he got into the uh, top 15. So he's he's a very quick study on this course, and he's got the really good all-around game. He's not the longest. He's not the straightest. 
he's a great combination of, of about every skill you would need, which is what fits in on this golf course. I think also uh, you might have to watch the, two, the 2019 champion, Rory McIlroy, who, you know, he's, he's among the favorites everywhere he tees it up. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, who uh, won at Bay Hill last year under very difficult conditions. And by the way, Bay Hill conditions are going to be tough as the week goes on. Uh, the scoring is uh, not really lights out there. And um, I did a, uh, I had a chat with Smiley Kaufman, a former tour player who uh, we're going to do something on. He's, he's a new NBC golf channel announcer uh, doing very well. And he threw out uh, his personal favorite is Patrick Cantlay. And Patrick Cantlay is kind of like a Max Homa type where uh, you, you not one single thing springs to mind that he does outstanding but he does everything well. That's exactly what you need to win on this golf course. All right. Well, make sure you find Gary's story, which will have all of the field uh, again at jacksonville.com, the home of the Florida Times Union. So, Gary, you know, let's talk about the course because you have a hole by hole breakdown of this. And of course, maybe the most famous is one of the shorter holes, but one of the toughest, number 17. So, tell us about TPC Sawgrass as you know it. And, uh, you know, just give us a breakdown of what people should expect this year. Okay, well, this is the uh, 42nd Players Championship at the TPC Sawgrass. It was designed by Pete Dye, who's a Hall of Fame uh, architect, and it takes advantage of a lot of the the. Uh, it's it was built to be toughest in March when the wind is coming out of the northeast or the east, which makes 17, 18 so difficult. The par three and then the par four, and the par four 18th with the water all the way down the left side is among the most difficult finishing holes on the PGA Tour year in and year out. It's always, almost always ranked number one in difficulty on this course the week of the tournament. Uh, the final four holes have gotten to be very, very well known after uh, all these player championships here. It's got, it's got some history to it. Uh, the 15th hole is a real picturesque uh, par four that's got uh, uh, woods and everything down the, uh, down the right side. If you hit in there, you're not getting it out. And, uh, some pine trees where if you do hit it, the trees to the left, you can punch out really picturesque uh, tee shot off of there. 16 is the par five that everybody can kind of go. They can rally. Okay. 16 is the easiest hole in the course. Uh, most of these guys, if they had a good shot in the fairway or hitting seven or eight iron into the green, uh, usually got a chance for Eagle and then 17, the Island green and, uh, uh, and 18, uh, it's most difficult. Uh, they have tried to, spruce up a couple of holes or make them difficult. And they've actually put some fan areas. They want some people to kind of see number eight and nine. Eight is a long par three, the longest par three on the course. They can set it up about 240 yards if they want to. And nine is the longest par five on the course, especially with a new tee. They can stretch that out to 600 yards. And, uh, it's, it's a three shot hole at that. Uh, you know, there are, and even if you feel like you can sneak a second shot up there, the green is really small. So you busted a five wood into that green, it's going to run up and run off into a bunker all the way around the green. But they built that new tee, and they've got this path, this easy access. If you watch a few shots from the leaders at eight and nine, and then when they get done there, there's a quick way to get to that 16, 17, 18 corridor. And that's another example of what this course is built for. This course is built for fans as much as it was built for players. It's easy to walk. You've got some mounds. You can always get a good view. If anybody's ever been to Augusta, Augusta National for the Masters, 
the crowds get so much that there are some holes where you really, unless you're six foot seven, you're really not going to get a heck of a uh, view up. But the stadium course, no matter how big the galleries are, there's some place you can move to get a view of whatever shot you want to see. And, uh, and another area that I think fans should go to, you know, they should, they should try uh, 11 and 12. 11 is a par five that's reachable. Uh, the second shot's got to go over water and 12 is a drivable par four that they, they uh, renovated a little bit uh, in 2017. And uh, it's about a 300 yard hole. There's a little bit of water left, but I've seen guys hit hybrid that 300 yards. That's how good they're getting nowadays, by the way. So uh, uh, that's a couple of spots I would, I would go to. And it, the main thing about this course is it, this natural defense is going to be the wind. And I saw an extended forecast that, uh, might be a little scary for the players who have already seen it or will see it, but there's going to be a little bit of a front schedule to come through here next Friday. Might have a little bit of rain, not the rain that we had last year. They're not, they're not calling for that. But Saturday and Sunday is going to be in the mid-50s and windy, and there will be some carnage. And it, if that's your thing, if you like to go to the car races to see the wrecks, and if you like to go to 17 to see the equivalent of the wrecks on that, then next weekend might be the time to either pull up a chair or come out here and watch. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the rain. I mean, last year when I was up there, I, I felt there got to be a point where I, I needed a canoe to get from one hole to the other. That's how much it rained. How does this course fare and drain as far as that goes? Because if it does, let's say even if you have a quick downpour, you know, how quick does this um, course get into playable conditions again? That used to be a problem before it was renovated in 2007. Uh, uh, the tour pretty much scraped the, the first couple of feet, 18 inches off of the, the playing surface and got uh, put down some new sand. Uh, and and it drains very, very well. And uh, there was a round in 2004, 2005, where it they the first groups were on the fourth hole and it rained so hard that they actually wiped that play out and they couldn't get back uh, until the next afternoon. Now... I've been told by, this, by the agronomist that if you get a similar rain to that in the second round of 2005, it would drain and they would be able to send guys, if it stopped, they would be able to send guys out in 90 minutes to, to start warming up. So, uh, you know, the only issue now is if there's any kind of electricity in whatever system is coming through, just for reasons of safety, they have to be uh, overly cautious about that. But the course rains uh, very, very well. Uh, it, it didn't before. And uh, uh, that's one of the things when they built a new clubhouse, they completely renovated the golf course when they went from March 2006 and the end of the March era, it went to May. And now we're back in March. But uh, draining is not is one of the least of their problems these days. If there's one lesson that Caddyshack has taught us all, don't golf in the lightning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, you did a ranking of the first 48 players' championships. This year is going to be 49, and next year is a big milestone at number 50. You ranked all 48, and this is going to be your 36th, so you've covered 35 of the prior 48. I don't want to give away who number one or two was, but, you know, I just want to talk about the process of how do you break that down and rank these things as such? Because, you know, it's got to be hard looking at 48, and I'm sure there are some that were not spectacular and some that were great, but that seems like a daunting task. 
Well, you, you want to say you rank these according to the quality of the fields, and, and, uh, but that's going to be the same every year. It's going to be the best. Uh, what I did was I started out with what was the nature of the Sunday finish? Was it close? Was it compelling? Were there multiple guys in the mix going to the back nine? More importantly, coming to the final three holes. The other thing was any, any extraordinary shots that kind of define that tournament. I'm thinking Craig Perks in 2002, who chipped in for Eagle at 16, made a birdie putt at 17 and shipped in for par at 18 to win. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Tiger Woods putt at 17 in 2001 on Saturday. Uh, that, you know, was all, was every inch of 60 feet. Uh, you know, David Slove shot in 2003 off of the right pond straw on uh, 16. He had a six iron and, and put it on the green and made that putt for Eagle. And then, of course, you know, Ricky Fowler's finish in – 2015, where just to get to the playoff, he had to play the last four holes at uh, five under. And uh, and then uh, I also looked at, at some unusual circumstances uh, regarding uh, weather. Let's say 1979, it's long considered to be, when it was a Sawgrass Country Club across the street, it was long considered to be the worst weather week in history in terms of wind. On the weekend, the front came through on Friday, and the weekend, mind you, best players in the world, and then there was a cut. Now you got 70 guys who are really playing pretty good, and 14 of them did not break 80 on Saturday, and 25 did not break 80 on Sunday, and the two there are only two scores under par all week, Jack Renner with a 71 on Saturday, Tom Watson with a 71 on Sunday. Then you had, uh, I, I took things from a historic nature, where uh, like Jack Nicholas winning his third players in 1978. Uh, Jerry Pate winning the first players uh, in 1982 at to be played at the stadium course, and the whole thing with him him throwing Dean Beam and Pete Dye into the pond, and then jumping into the pond after after them, uh, and then with a nod to the hometown heroes, uh, Mark McCumber, you did, you did a very good podcast with Mark uh, uh, last week. Uh, Mark being the first Jacksonville native to win his hometown event followed in 1999 by David Duval uh, winning that. And uh, so uh, there's a lot went into it, and uh, I hope everybody – and you know what? If people disagree, especially when we get to the top ten on Sunday, if they disagree, great. I want to hear from you. I I want there to be discussion. And I I really can't wait for somebody to, like, email me. What the heck do you mean that tournament was number one? I went to this tournament. 27 years ago and that was the greatest golf tournament i ever saw in my life that's that's what i want i wanted to, i want to you know spark some conversation and some uh some 19th hole talk and uh, i i think we did that but you know what you, you gotta you, in this day and age you gotta start out with boring and that was at the bottom of the list and it's already been published and i'll never forget 1997 steve elkington a very nice man a major champion won this tournament twice he led wire to wire one by seven shots and his closest competitors on Sunday were the immortal Scott Hoke and Billy Andrade. And it was a snooze fest. I'm telling you right now, because this guy just shot three or four of the most workmanlike 69s and 68s that you want to see. There is nothing extraordinary about it. And I'm sorry, Steve, that was a great victory for you in 1997, but it put people to sleep. 
<laughs> well, yeah, and and definitely for people who did not see that or listen to that podcast last week with Mark McCumber, you know, just uh, go to your Google search engine, type in Tim Walters and Mark McCumber, and find that podcast. And for all of Gary's stories, look up Gary Smiths, Gary with two R's, G A R R Y Smiths, S M I T S, and check those out. And you know, Gary, I don't know who's going to argue with you about that because I got to tell you, after walking around the players with you last year, your name should be the players' mayor. That's going to be my nickname for you because uh everybody knows you you've been there forever and uh you get treated with the respect and the reverence you deserve so what do you think of that as a nickname the player's mayor uh boy i tell you what i you know i i never i swore i'd never run for office so uh (laughs) but if you're gonna make if you're gonna make it an appointed position i suppose i have to i have to accept it and you know look it's a great event it's come to define you know before before the Jaguars came here in 1995, this was the biggest sports event in town. And then, of course, for its time of year, it certainly is. And uh, everybody embraces this. It's a nice little party. Uh, there's a lot of – that that has grown over the years as well, outside the ropes. Uh, you know, there are people who come here who don't watch a whole heck of a lot of golf. But they go to their, – their friend might have some passes into the Bank of America tent, you know, or the, or the Morgan Stanley tent, and they come out there and have a good time. And as the uh, executive director told me one time, it doesn't really matter how much golf they wa- they watch, but you know, they, if they paid for a ticket and paid for parking and paid for their beer, we're happy. <laughs> and and that was the, the the goal is that they did not necessarily want this to be considered. For years, the marketing was this was the fifth major. Well, that didn't necessarily take hold. Now, the 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 attitude is they don't want to be like four other golf tournaments because the other four majors don't really have the kind of vibe that this one has. They want to be the Kentucky Derby. They want to be the Daytona 500. They want to be the Indianapolis 500. They want to be an event that surrounds a sport, an athletic competition, and, uh, and maybe come to be a, 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 a rite of spring, let's say, a passage of time. People mark the time by when the Players' Championship is there and the Jaguars' opening game of the season and everything else – if you're a sports fan in this town, kind of falls in. And Florida, Georgia, I can't leave that out. And everything kind of falls into place. As somebody pointed out to me, uh, the players' championship means spring and summer just around the corner. The opening game of the Jaguars football season, enough said. And Florida, Georgia, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving are just around the corner. So, uh, uh, but it's a great event. It's run by it's run by great people and the local participation in this is unbelievable. There are two thousand volunteers who do a lot of the work that the tour otherwise would have had to subcontract out and pay people, garbage collection, parking people in the parking lot, having people to greet the players and uh, and take care of their families. Um, and that money that the tour saves on that doesn't just go in the bank. That's a lot of, of what they do to contribute to charity. And it's why the PGA Tour has contributed more than $3 billion since 1993 to charity and the players championship has been responsible for about, uh, I think the last figure I saw was maybe 700 million of that. Uh, not seven, uh, I'm sorry, 70 million of that. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, like I said, there are a lot of people who buy tickets wouldn't think of not coming to the players who don't know a birdie from bogey, but they sure as that come out here and uh, have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the Jaguars. When I was watching the Honda a couple of weeks ago, I saw Chris Kirk and I thought to myself, 
I wonder if he goes by Chris because he doesn't want to be confused with Jaguars receiver Christian Kirk. But I looked up his name. It's actually Christopher Kirk. So we've got a Christopher Kirk and a Christian Kirk. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where I thought it would be funny if we had two Christian Kirks, but we don't. So one of the last questions. Yeah, you know what? It, 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 by the way, it would not shock anybody if Chris Kirk won this tournament this week. Great putter playing good. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's definitely been on fire the last few weeks. One of the last questions I'll ask you, Gary, is as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're coming up on the 50th players next year. Do you know yet of any plans or anything special that they're trying to work up for the tournament that might be a little different from what they normally do? Well, I think there'll probably be an effort made to bring in as many past champions as they, as they can for uh, a function. When they renovated the clubhouse here in 2007, uh, they had a, 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 a black tie affair with, with all the past champions, took a really nice photo in there. That, uh, they managed to get uh, pretty much, uh, but yeah, I think even Greg Norman came. <laughs> and uh, so they'll, they'll probably do something with that. Uh, I know that they'll have uh, a, a few more interactive things where I think some of those past champions will hang around the range, hang around the autograph area, uh, maybe be uh, first tee starters. Uh, that, their their idea, their kind of focus is to make it about people. The, and, and they want to introduce a generation of fans to the guys who made this tournament what it is by winning it. And I, I think you'll see uh, an awful lot. It may be, it may be like an NFL uh, Hall of Fame week or, or the Hall of Fame week in Cooperstown uh, where there'll be a lot of functions. And there may be some functions off the course as well. I, I know that there are uh, various golf courses around here that are going to make an effort to to have a, a, a pro-am, you know, a charity prime. And if they can get a guy like Jerry Pate or uh, or Tom Kite or Mark McCumber to come out there and appear, and, and, and you know, so much the better. Um, but 50 years of, uh, of anything is uh, pretty good. And I, I did a real quick thing on the majors. The 50th Masters with Jack Nicholas winning in 1986. Think about that. The 50th U.S. Open with Ben Hogan winning at Marion in 1950. The 50th PGA was Julius Burroughs. All three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. And the, and the 50th British Open at St. Andrews with a guy named James Braid in 1910. The winner of all of the 50th anniversary of all those majors are all in the Hall of Fame. So I think maybe we can look forward to the to the 50th players uh, hopefully being that kind of a that kind of event. But uh, trust me. The one thing the tour knows how to do is throw a party. <laughs> There'll be something really fun that week. I'm sure they will spare no expense for a big event like that. So really looking forward to that. Hey, Gary, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the players before I let you go here? Well, if you if fans are listening to this, uh, they get an opportunity to. Friday and Saturday parking is sold out. But they have, the tour has a link to the secondary parking purchasing site on uh, Ticketmaster. It's just you might have to pay more than the face value, and they have no control over that. So uh, they ask for a little bit of patience there. And uh, if you're going to come out here next weekend, plan to dress warm. <laughs> I think I know we've had a string of 80-degree days here in Jackson the last two or three weeks, and people may have put in the, put in the, uh, the, the woolen hats and the scarves and some of the heavier jackets in the closet and everything. If you're coming out here next Saturday or Sunday, you can go back and get them, but that might make for some very compelling golf. Uh, really good advice because, uh, yeah, it has been unseasonably warm. And then the second we need to be outside for a few days, it's going to get chilly. So hopefully not too chilly, but it should uh, should be pretty nice. It's going to be pretty good for the two practice rounds and the first round on Thursday. 
There you go. All right, Gary, where can uh, where can people follow along on social media? And as I've mentioned, Times Union is at jacksonville.com. That's where they can find the, your work. But, you know, if they want to follow you along on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, G. Smitter. That's uh, because because uh, somebody already t- took Smitter, which has kind of been my nickname for my whole life. And uh, at, and at uh, Z. Fernet has a, uh, a Twitter site. And Gene, uh, the weekend tournament, will we'll be tweeting an awful lot of stuff. We also have uh, jacks.com. That's the Twitter site. The website is jacksonville.com. The Twitter site is jacks.com. And of course, uh, our, our, our perpetual motion machine, Clayton Freeman at C Freeman, uh, will be doing an awful lot of stuff, uh, out here. He's coming out and he, he thinks outside the box and he will keep everybody entertained. Let's, let's say. Uh, when we've got some off the wall stuff, we're going to do uh, a story on PJ tour fashion and uh, we'll make sure that hits the, uh, the social media. Uh, and then, uh, if you come out here to the tournament, remember that if you are like at 17 and you tag a photo and tag PJ tour, they may just put your picture of you and your friends up there on the big board. All right. Well, people make sure that you get out and you do that. You check out all Smitter's stuff. My other new nickname for him is the Players Mayor. Gary, it's a pleasure. You've given us a lot of great knowledge. I do appreciate it. And you will not find anyone anywhere, not only more knowledgeable, but doing better coverage, more complete coverage, and putting out more stories than Gary. Gary, thank you so much for joining me this week. Well, thanks for the comments, Tim. I really appreciate it and and, uh, looking forward to seeing you here. Absolutely. Yep, I'm going to be up there too. So it'll be Gary Smith. It'll be Gene Frenette. It'll be Justin Lewis. It'll be Clayton Freeman. It'll be Tim Walters. We will all be out there, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote the legendary Jack Nicklaus, don't be too proud to take lessons. I'm not. Me neither, Jack. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time. <laughs>